This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a great episode with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources, and we're going to do a a two-part series on kind of the 2015 uh, elk season uh, in Arizona. And uh, I had the fortune of having Chris with me. Uh, up there during that two weeks and I was up there for the month uh, from September 2nd to October 2nd. I had a great 30 days and uh, just really enjoyed uh, elk and and God's creation out there and we bring up some interesting topics in this episode and uh, look forward to hearing your feedback uh, as you hear it. Uh, Make sure to tune in to uh, both episodes part one and two Um, Guys, I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their sponsorship, the title sponsorship of this podcast. And Lorenzo uh, with GoHunt.com has announced that there is an Insider member giveaway for the month of October. They've already been giving away a doll sheep hunt, mule deer hunts, elk hunts, uh, antelope hunts, uh, and all sorts of gear. But for the month of October, two Insider uh, GoHunt.com members are going to get a chance to win two slots. Um, so there's two slots uh, for the coos deer hunt in January. Uh, the hunt dates, I believe, are the 8th through the 14th, uh, right during uh, the, the rutting time. And uh, that's with Dar Colburn and I at Colburn and Scott Outfitters. So Lorenzo will be joining us on the hunt uh, and it's a perfect opportunity for someone that hasn't gone coos deer hunting or someone that would like to enjoy a rut coos deer hunt down in Sonora, Mexico um, with, with Dar Colburn and myself uh, guiding the hunt. And um, Lorenzo paid full boat. I didn't give him a break. Um, he's paying for all three spots, his, his spot and two others. So um, all you have to do is be an insider uh, member to win, and every insider gets uh, one shot at it. And November 1st, they're going to draw names. Uh, you can go on GoHunt.com's website and get all of the specific details. But uh, it's going to be a great hunt. Uh, Dar and I have been going down for many, many years, and uh, uh, we've uh, had the chance to uh, harvest some great bucks ourselves, and our clients obviously have have shot some very, very nice bucks, and uh, it's going to be a great time. It's always a great time to watch those coos deer rutting. So that's for this January 2016, so, I mean, right around the corner. Um, all you have to do is be an Insider member. If you're not an Insider member, you go to the blue Join Now button. Go to GoHunt.com, click on Insider, go to the blue Join Now button, and use the J. Scott promo code. The J. Scott promo code is going to get you a $50 Kuyu gift card. So when you sign up, you'll automatically get the $50 Kuyu gift card that you can use over at Kuyu.com and uh, order some new gear. And uh, so your name will be thrown in the hat. Uh, I believe the uh, exact rules for the deadline, which I believe is the last day of October, um, but check on GoHunt.com for all the specific details. 
Um, but, you know, two guys are going to win that hunt and be joining Lorenzo and Dar and I down in Mexico. So um, should be a phenomenal time. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for all your support of this podcast. Uh, we are on our way to a million downloads and it's just mind boggling. And I want to thank you for all of the, the great support and all of the feedback. I appreciate uh, all the emails and you can send those to me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow along the adventures at jscottoutdoors on Instagram. Uh, that is the uh, platform that I update the most, uh, usually daily. And um, you can also go to J. Scott Outdoors Facebook, jscottoutdoors.com, and J. Scott Outdoors on YouTube. And uh, we just got off 30 days of an elk hunt and uh, the raffle, uh, Arizona Desert uh, Sheep uh, raffle hunt uh, is, is, is starting here in a couple days. And I'm looking forward to getting out and chasing some sheep around. So, uh, guys, again, thanks for all your support. I want to thank gohunt.com for their sponsorship. And uh, make sure you get in on that coos deer hunt. Also, thank you to DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Uh, they make great uh, hunting t-shirts, apparel, hats, and what have you. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. You also get 10% off on all purchases. So, uh, guys, let's get right to the episode with Chris Rowe. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. I uh, had the fortune of having Chris with me up in Unit 9 in northern Arizona for the entire elk season. I believe he got there the day before the season started, and um, we were able to share camp together and uh, shared a lot of, of good good times, good laughs, and uh, Chris was an integral part of uh, of our hunting group, and um, we had a great time. Chris, how you doing? Doing all right, my friend. How are you? Oh, pretty good. I uh, we were talking before we just came on. Um, I I think you're the same way I am. How you're just kind of in a funk, meaning, you know, you. I was September second. I arrived in elk camp. I left October second, and um, it's it, it. You don't realize how much of a rut and how much of a routine you get in. Uh, for me. You know, waking up every morning, say at 3:30, uh, the first three mornings back here in Scottsdale, uh, woke up at 3:30, couldn't go back to sleep. You know, it's it's funny how your mind just turns on, and then uh, during the day, you know, midday nap time at elk camp, uh, I, I forced myself here not to take naps, but there was a couple of days I'm not kidding you where literally I had to get up and do jumping jacks because I was <laughs> uh, falling asleep, uh, walking around. Yeah. Um, are you in the same kind of funk as I am? You've got stuff spread out everywhere and just looking at it, you know, it's not putting itself away and, and a, a little bit, uh, just kind of in a funk. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I, I actually left for elk season this past year or this, this year, August, what, what was that Wednesday, August 26 or something like that. And so, yeah, same thing. I mean, just it's been just a nonstop marathon, and you know, I don't, I don't really get in those routines. My body, I mean, I, I usually can slip right back into a normal sleep cycle, but I will be kind of in this just daze, this malaise of just non motivation. Yeah, I've got a, st I just a pile. I'm sitting here looking at it now, a pile of all my gear 
it's just in this big mound sitting next to me. It's all got to get put away. Luckily, I did. This is the first year I made a promise myself. I got the camper squared away first. Usually, I end up getting all my gear taken care of, and I leave my camper, and then it's about midwinter when everything's frozen, and I'm like, oh, no, I didn't get the water lines cleared out, or I didn't get the, the bathroom, or I, I didn't take care of anything. So yesterday, I took care of the camper and got that all winterized and ready to go, but yeah, I, and I'm rolling right, and I know you are getting ready for what, what you got coos deer hunts and sheep hunts coming up. I'm I'm getting ready for whitetail hunts, and so I mean, there's no rest for the wicked. It, wicked, it's just it rolls right into the next one and and hitting the ground running. So yeah, I've got to get some motivation under my belt. That's for sure. So when I got home, uh, I took Dar's little trailer this year up to Unit Nine, and when I when I drove into uh, Scottsdale. I actually brought everything here to my house first and basically unloaded the whole trailer on my wife's uh, right inside our entry in the living room floor because <laughs> that was the closest and easiest way to, to get everything from, you know, I had a little bit of shell shock. I was, you know, coming out of Unit 9, you know, 75 degrees, beautiful, and got down here, and it was like 105. Oh, I'm my. out there <laughs> th three in the afternoon, and the trailer just sweating to death. So I unloaded everything in my wife's uh, uh, living room, which she was very thrilled about. And <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, by the end of that whole session, I told her, I said, I have sun till Sunday night at 5 to have this all cleaned up. And she just kind of looked at me like, you're out of your mind. And uh, none of that stuff is stinky or dirty or anything. No. Yeah, so all day Saturday, I basically, uh, so then I ran the trailer back to Dars and then came home and was just kind of in a lethargic state and uh, watched college football on Saturday. And my wife just kept literally <laughs> having to take a new route around the pile to her room. And she kept looking at her watch like, is it Sunday at five? Exactly. Every, every time she walks by, she gives a sideways glance and, <laughs> yeah, and I mean a mound. I should have taken a a picture of it. It was, I mean, there could have been small children in there, and you would have never even seen them because it was so high. And you never uh, hear them either. They'd be buried. Yeah, yeah, they'd have been buried. So we get home from church on Sunday. Of course, the Cardinals are on, so I'm watching the Cardinals. And about two o'clock, I'm sitting there going, you know how it's like a kid not wanting to do his homework. Finally, I start getting over there while watching the Cardinals game and. And uh, got the pile done by five, but I mean it was like 4:59 and, and a half, and all of a sudden the last little piece went, you know, in its place. Nice, yeah. Well, so I'm, and, and that's the same thing. Where where I'm sitting here, it's we share Kelly and I, uh, my wife and I share office space, and so the hunting, my half of the room is quote quote unquote the hunting side, and her half is the business side, but she's got to look at it, so it's all the same stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how, you know, you get home after being gone for a month and, you know, my wife's in her routine and, you know, here I am over there, you know, snoring and everything else. Yeah. She's probably thinking, good night. I wish you'd be gone another month here. But uh, exactly. Um, you know, shifting gears, um, I want to I want to start and ask you about um, your Colorado hunt after we did our last episode. Uh, you had scouted out a bull in the high country, and you were able to go back for the season and harvest that bull. I wanted to 
uh, have you tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, I, I tell you, this I, I feel extremely fortunate because where I hunt in the high country for our high country camp, it's an area that's usually pretty good. The problem is, is um, and you'll hear people talk about something they call the pre-rut move, and not all elk populations will do it. Um, I think I think more do it than what people think. But regardless, in the high country especially, you know, elk spend their summers in one area and they spend their winters in another area, and in you know, in the fall and the spring, they're somewhere in between. And depending on what the moisture and the food is and everything, they they can stay and linger in one area or another. But regardless, they're going to move. And so my high country camp usually has a good number of cows and calf groups or cows with calves up in the summer range. And then there will be some bulls in, in in, in that area or at least nearby. But every single year, they move out of that area anywhere between the last couple days of August to the first couple days of September. And so Colorado season actually fluctuates. We start on the last Saturday of uh, August and then run to the last Saturday of September. So our season actually fluctuates plus or minus a week. So some years we start may start like August 24th. Some years we start August 31st. So even though our calendar changes – you know, I talk about this all the time is it, the elk don't, they, they don't have a calendar. They just run off of photo period. And, and so on these years, like this year where we kind of started late, I only have maybe a couple days of really the ability to capitalize on whether or not those elk are going to be there. And if the, and the bulls are going to be there. And so, like you said, yes, I went up there this season or this summer uh, before season and did a little scouting just to see, if there was anything worth going in there for, because, and this is a longer conversation for maybe another day, but, and we talk about, you know, getting ready for high country hunting, but my brother was coming out this year and he's from Virginia. So right on almost, I mean, pretty much on sea level. So I really wanted to scout the high country for no other reason other than find, is there a bull worth going in here after? I mean, if, if there really wasn't, then I wasn't going to bother trying to get my brother way up at 12,000 feet. You know, I was just going to go to an easier area. Well, long story short, yeah, I get up there and I found two bulls that I, I mean, they were, they were nice. They were really, really nice. One had a real particular big whale tail on one side and then, and he was really wide. And then there was another bull that was a little bit more narrow, good long beams, decent six by six. I, at that time, figured both of them to be, oh, about that 320 range, which for this area is on your upper end of, of what the bulls are, you know, that you can expect. There's always, you know, the 280, 290, maybe a 300 class bull up there, but these two were definitely much bigger than anybody, any other bulls that were up there and that I've seen in the past several years. So as soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, we're coming in here and we're going to give it a go. So, and I'm just going to give you the highlights. So we get, we get into to camp um, and we're in there a day before season starts and, you know, go up on this, this one particular spot where I can glass the valley and I can look down the valley from one end. Um, it's not the best vantage point, but it, it can give you a good idea of what's in there. And so, you know, everybody, that, you know, a lot of people will attest to this year being a very, very difficult year across the board, whether you're talking from Idaho to Arizona, it doesn't matter. 
And sure enough, we get in there and I start glassing and literally I, if I, I don't think we saw an elk period that first night. And I was just like, Oh goodness gracious. What the heck? So I sat up there, we glassed, didn't see anything, maybe a, you know, small spike or something like that, but there was just nothing. So the next morning's opening day. And I said, you know what? I'm not even going to, I'll take the bow just in case, but we're just going to do quite honestly, Jay, similar to what you do down in Arizona where I wasn't planning on hunting. It's opening day, but I'm going to skip hunting. I'm just going to go up in this knob and I'm going to glass. I'm just going to try to figure out where these elk are. And so that first morning we get in there and sure enough, no, there are elk in there. Here's a couple pot. Here's a pocket here. Here's a pocket there. But still now I'm not seeing any bulls. I'm not seeing any good bulls. You got the, you know, your typical two and a half year old bulls that are three by threes and four by fours in this area, but nothing. And so we go back to camp, take your nap and get stuff, you know, ready to go for the evening. And so um, my brother decided it, it, it was a tough hunt for my brother. So he decided he was going to stay in camp and, and recoup uh, from a, I mean, it's about five miles back in here. And so he was going to recoup. And so I decided, uh, well, I'm going to take the bow. I'm going to take, I'm going to take everything just in case, you know, just, I mean, it is season, but I'm going to hike way around, uh, to one side of the valley. And I'm going to glad and basically put myself in a position where I can see, uh, the other side, the east side where I went on the west side is the spot where elk usually come out and where elk usually feed out of the timber. And it also just happens to be where I glassed those two big bulls earlier on in the summer. It's a spot that just always has elk activity on it, but more importantly, it also gives me a great vantage point to look across the valley into two small little, I mean, you can call them avalanche shoots, but really they're just little drainage, little kind of side basins that you just can't really look into from our original vantage point. So I made, I mean, it's an hour hike, hour and a half hike around from camp. And so I headed out, got there and again, did the exact same thing. I was getting ready just to sit and watch and glass and figure out who was coming out. And there was a, I get there and sure enough, there's a few bugles. I mean, very, very light, very, very weak down in the timber below me. And, and it's a steep enough, valley that it was very difficult to tell which side of the of the valley they're on you just hear the bugles down in the timber and so as the sun goes down it clears the you know it clears the horizon behind me which is the mountain so i mean i've still got an hour hour and a half of of legal shooting light but you just the, the sun is gone behind the ridge elk start moving out and sure enough boom across from me here's a really good bull uh really nice six by six he's got a group of cows and i mean he's just heading out i mean he's bugling and he is just, I mean, just, I mean, when I say head now, you, anybody who's watched cows and, or, or a bull with his harem and, and they decide to go from point A to point B in a quickness, that's what he, this, that's what this group was doing. They were leaving. They were leaving that valley. They were heading out and he was just bugling as he goes. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, great. There's a nice six by six and he's leaving. I know where he's going, but <laughs> that's a, that that's like picking up moving camp and, and reading, doing a spike camp. I mean, there was no going after that bull at that time. And then sure enough, here's the second bull comes out in the other little basin and he's staying put. And as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking that looks like the bull I saw 
preseason, the, the narrow, the, the, the narrower six by six. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's promising. So he's still here. But where's, you know, where's the bull that had the big whale tail that I wanted? Well, again, I'm just sitting there watching them. They're just very few bugles either, you know, just around. So I'm sitting there watching, watching, watching. And again, where this bull, the nice six by six that I'm watching is, it's not something that I can bomb in, you know, like you said, Jay, you know, fix bayonets and go. Uh, there's no way I can get there from where I was that night. It was definitely going to have to be a game plan for the next day. So I figured, well, I'm going to sit and watch, figure out where they feed out, feed where they feed to, and then we'll plan on getting in here tomorrow or the next day and, and make a game plan. So I'm sitting there. Watching them, watching other elk coming out of the timber, but so far there's really nothing on my side of the mountain. And I was initially content with that because I was just making a game plan for the other one across the valley. But then finally, you know, a little voice in your head was like, dude, you've got calls in your pocket. Just, you know, cold call and see if anybody responds on your side. So, and I think this is something we can talk about too here a little bit, but I've, you know, this is the first year that I used Steve Chappell's uh, signature series calls, the the matriarch and the, the trophy wife. And so I pulled the matriarch out and made a few lost, just like I talk about lost muse to make that initial contact. I was, they were bugling, but they, I could listen and I could hear that they were not responding to one another. So when one bull bugled, the next bugle was not in response to the previous bugle. It was just, they were just doing, they were just bugling on their own. And it really seemed like they were bugling in response to just trying to find cows and, and just making their presence known. They really, really weren't fired up and, and bombing out at, at each other. So I decided I'm not going to use a bugle. I'm going to use a cow call and just use a lost mew and maybe some long mews and just see if I get a response. Well, <sighs> You know, maybe it's because I was tired. Maybe it's because I wasn't focused or whatever. But here I am on the I'm I'm the open alpine. I'm standing in front of a, a little patch of willows. But I mean, literally, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Make a couple calls, no response. Make a couple calls, no response. I look to my left. I look to my right. Nothing. I make a couple calls. I look and I'll, oh crap! And literally twenty yards down the hill, pops up out of this steep chute is this four by four. And I mean, he's just standing there, boom, looking at me. And luckily I had my ASAT leafy suit top on. And so I kind of, I mean, I blended in perfectly with the, with the willows. So he had no idea where I was. And he just literally walks up out of that chute and walks to within, I think, 15 yards and finally swings down wind and gets my wind and turns around and boom, he, you know, he piles back down into the chute he just came from. And so I'm thinking, well, okay, that was a, I'm happy that there's elk here, but B that was stupid, Chris. You know, you're not, I mean, if you're going to sit there and call, make sure you're in a position that you can at least, you know, do something if something shows up. So I'm sitting there like, okay, I, I need to get serious. There are elk on my side of the mountain. I've still got plenty of time. So I need to kind of take a moment and, and rethink my situation here. And sure enough, I, I found some other elk. I decided to glass them. I, here's another group of elk. I glassed them. And right down below me, right where that little bull came from and right where he went to, here's this tiny little squeal. Just tiny little squeal, what most people would classify, oh, as a spike bugle. And to be honest with me, or with you, I, I, for me, I just sat there. I was like, well, that's probably that little, little guy that I just called in. And so I kind of dismissed it. And so I'm glassing, watching some new elk coming out of the timber, 
there's just cows and calves and, you know, women and children. And all of a sudden I hear another bugle, the same little squeal down at the bottom of the hill. But this time it was followed with just a, it was a short and weak chuckle. But you know how, I mean, and I think you know what I'm talking about, Jay, is you can hear that depth. You can hear, it's not just a, it's, a, you know, you hear that, just that real deep, breathy, chesty sound. Baby got back. Yeah. And, and so I hear, <laughs> I hear this chuckle and I mean, instantly now there's, there's no quite, I go from, you know, I don't even know what you just, you know, screwing around mode to, oh, I need to get serious. That ain't no, that's not a four. That's not that little four by that's not a two and a half year old bull. That's no, that's a bull. That's a mature bull. And I'm thinking, or at least a, an older age class bull. And I'm like, uh, Chris, you need, and that's right down below me, right where that little four by four went. And I'm thinking, I need to get serious. I need to get serious right now. And I look at my situation. My wind is going from my left to right. Now I imagine if you will, the valley is running perpendicular to me. So it's, it's running left and right of my field of view. And it's, it's just steep. I mean, stupid steep down below me. It goes down. How far, how far to the bottom? Uh, I'll bet you pushing a thousand feet to the bottom. Okay. So big, canyon. big valley. And I'm up on the top of it, up in the Alpine. Okay. And literally right in front, and I'm on a steep slope or steepish slope and it goes down in front of me about 50, 60, 80 yards. And then it just drops off to the face. Of the, I mean, it's just, it's timbered, but it is steep, steep. And so that little lip, you know, I talk about the doorway all the time. That little lip, I'm, it, that's where that little four by four popped out. I'm thinking, whatever's down there, again, remember, this is a spot where elk typically come out to feed up into the Alpine. So I'm looking, I go, if there's an elk down there, they're going to be coming out of here any minute. And I, I look off to my right, down the slope and to my right, about 80 yards, there's a little knob. There's just a little tiny point that kind of sticks up. It's got some good cover on it, but it's also a spot that allows me to see to my left and cover that steep slope where, where things come out, but it also allows me to see to my right down into this kind of little bottom, this little basin. There's a wallow in there. I mean, it, it gives me a good vantage point, and it puts me centrally located where elk used to normally come out of the timber. And so I did. I just grabbed all my stuff and made a mad dash down the mountain to get there. I get into that spot. Now, I have my camera and everything with me. The problem is this year I didn't get – I mean, and well, we, yeah, I'll tell you here in a second. I had the camera. I didn't have time to put, I, I did not have time to turn it on. And I'm kind of glad I didn't. And the reason why is because I got down to the spot, dumped my pack, got an arrow knocked, ranged a couple spots just to see where things were around me. And I'm, I, again, that little voice inside your head is never wrong. And it said, skip the camera for right now. And I'm glad I did. Because I, I just left the camera there. I turned around. I look around. I'm like, okay, I'm in a good spot. I range a couple spots. Yes. I, I, all right. I'm ready. And I said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to check them. I'm just going to give another loss mew and just see who's around. And I gave a couple loss mews and boom, I get a mew down the hill. 
I'm like, sweet, they are right here. I'm like, all right. So I'll follow it up. I gave a couple, I mean, and I did. I just kind of stepped it up. And you heard me how I how I called a little bit this year. I stepped it up a little bit, did a couple lost mews with a little bit of a whine, and then just into a longer mew, just basically saying, you know, where are you? I want to be with you. And I no sooner got that sequence out of that call, and I mean the entire, all the timber just lit up, and elk just started pouring out of everywhere. And here, up the mountain, here comes just cow, calf, cow, cow, calf, cow. And they're all to my left, anywhere from 80 yards to 40 yards. I mean, they're just, they're just, I mean, just this huge group just starts coming out of the timber. And I'm like, holy moly. Now, meanwhile, there's no bugle or anything yet. And so I'm sitting there and, and I turn my body and I get ready to, to look and, and cover the area where the elk are coming out. And all, hear, all of a sudden I hear a snap, pop, crack. And 15 yards in front of me, this cow pops up out of the timber and just walks right up and stands on the same knob that, that I'm on. She's, she walks up to seven yards and just stands there. I mean, she's just boink. And she's, if you can imagine me focus, you know, my body is facing, say, to the east, and I'm looking to the north. So I'm looking everything to my left, and I'm ready to draw my bow to the left. And all of a sudden, she pops up smack dab in front of me, you know, in front of my body. So, you know, she's off to the right, you know, in the corner of my eye to my right. And she's, she walks to seven yards and stands there. Now, the wind is still good, but she is point blank. I can't move. I can't do anything. And so I'm frozen, wondering what this cow is going to do. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, if there's any other bull that comes out or whatever, it, there's no way that I can draw this bow, not with her being there, because she's going to spook. Well, again, I'm not running the camera. And I, if I, I think if I was running the camera, I would have never killed this bull. However... I wish I had the camera running because the behavior that unfolded at that from that point on was just absolutely incredible. She's sitting there staring, looking for me, looking for the cow that she heard. And all of a sudden, and again, super steep down below her, all of a sudden through the trees down off this, this lip, down off this bench, I see just the fifth and sixth, just the, just the, the fork, the last fork of an antler go through the timber. And as soon as I saw that fork, I was like, that's, that's a shooter. I, and in this area, I am not picky. If a 260, 270, 280 class bull, if it's a six by six, if he's, if he's, a, as long as he is a four and a half year old bull or older, it's dead. So as soon as I see this fork come through the trees, I'm thinking, or the, down below that, I said, that's a, that's a shooter. I, that's a shooter. And it disappears. The cow looks down the hill. And then all of a sudden, out of just this dark abyss, walks this bull. I mean, he, he clears and comes up the chute. And, I mean, he is wide. He is tall. And he turns his head a little bit. And there is that whale tail that I found earlier. on, And that's the bull. I mean, that's him. And he is coming. And he is coming hard up that chute. And he, what he's basically doing is he's swinging around and rounding her up and kicking her back to the group. And I'm thinking, he is going to walk point, I mean, he's going to walk right into me. And he starts coming up that slope. He pauses, and he looks at that cow. 
he just kind of does a little, he just basically lays his rack back as, you know, just telling her behave, you know, from a visual body language, he tells her, you need, you need to kick your butt back to the group. She drops her head, does a bunch of submissive chewing. Her ears go down, her head goes down, her shoulders drop. She's submissive, chew, chew, chew. She turns around and just turns and walks right back to the group. And as soon as she does, and I thought, I was like, if she bolts around to my right, she's going to get downwind and, and she's done. But nope, she turns in her tracks, walks right straight back to the group. And as soon as that happens, I was like, this bull is dead because he's going to turn right around and he is going to follow that cow right out and and where his line of travel was going to be is anywhere between 10 and 15 yards and sure enough she turns she walks back to the group he comes right up and follows her tracks and this time he goes on the back side of a big pine tree well i mean he was 14 yards as soon as he walked behind that tree i pulled back he came out he stopped right on his little doorway where he could see the rest of the cows I mean, he pauses there, slightly quartering away, and, and catches my arrow. And, I mean, he just piles up down the bottom of the hill. And all right, he, he, went about, he went about 40 to 50 yards, stopped, and then when he fell over, he slid and rolled about another 20 yards or so down the hill. So, I mean, he, he piled up right there. But, yeah, when I got down to him, I was like, this thing is a lot bigger than what I was anticipating later, <laughs> earlier on that <laughs> summer. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. So that's great. And then, uh, so once you recovered him, uh, did you work on him all night, or did you go back and get your brother, or what did you do at that point? Well, in it's kind of funny. Yeah, my wife used to go hunting with me when we were in Southern Colorado, and she always would joke that I never kill anything when someone's with me. I never do. So she would go for days and days and we wouldn't see anything or wouldn't get anything or whatever. And she'd decide to take a night off. I would go by myself. Boom, whackable. Done. I'd, I'd fill my tag. Well, the same thing here. Here's my brother. He's in camp. It's opening day. He decides not to come with me. I kill a bull. I'm like, hey, you got to be kidding me. So <laughs> and the whole point for my brother being there was he was going to run the camera and he was going to do, you know, do a bunch of photography and stuff because he's, he's a really good photographer. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I was like, all right, well. It's in a steep, nasty hole. It's dark. My brother's expecting me back at camp because I told him I was just going on a scouting mission. So this is the first year that I actually gutted an elk. I said, you know what? I'm gonna. I, I don't want to cut him all up. I want to get some good pictures in the morning. I want to experience have have this be experience that my brother can share. And so I wrestled this thing out of. If you saw the pictures on the Facebook and Instagram, you saw he just piled up into this tree and you know kind of in a steep angle. So I was able to kind of muscle his head around, get his butt kind of pointed downhill. And this is the first time I, I gutted an elk in probably 10, 15 years. So I just gutted him and propped him up just so he would cool off and then hiked out of there. So yeah, I, I didn't get back in, to camp until, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And sure, my, you know, my brother's up on the, on the ridge, you know, with his headlamp looking for me. So yeah, we, we, I gutted him. And then the next morning we got up early and, uh, and this is another big, long part of the story, but regardless, I went ahead and had, my wife was in Colorado. She did have the horses with her for a completely separate issue, but we always prepare. And so she brought the pack saddles and stuff just in case. Well, sure enough, here we go. We get an elk down. It's a long way in. Um, there's other issues. So I, I just went ahead and hit the spot 
I, I always carry a little spot satellite messenger deal. And so on my, on the spot, you can hit a, a message and that pre uh, pre-programmed message for me is bring horses. So I just hit the, hit the bring horses message. Ben and I went in, we cut up, you know, took pictures, quartered and, and just processed the whole animal. And by the time we got that baby processed and I hiked up out of that hole, here comes Kelly with the horses. And, and we were able to get that thing right out of there and, and on ice and back down to the processor in short order. So it was, it was pretty awesome. It was, it was an awesome, awesome hunt, even though it was really, really quick, but yeah, he ended up being quite a much, uh, quite a bit bigger than, uh, than I anticipated. So that's always nice. That's awesome. That's an awesome hunt. Uh, he ended up being like 340, didn't he? Yeah, three, 341. I, just, I still need to do a little bit better tape job, but I mean, I'm usually pretty darn accurate. And so 341. So yeah, he, he, he's a nice bull. That's awesome. And so just by sending your wife a spot message, giving her the coordinates and such, she was able to trailer the horses and get to the trailhead or whatever and come up there and be up on the ridge. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That, that's the cool thing about that spot is it will, what it does is it does two things. It'll send them a message, a text message or an email, but it, with the email, it will actually send them a map, a Google earth picture uh, and put the location well, wherever that spot message was sent from, it'll put it right on Google Earth. Boink, that's where, you know, that's where Chris is. That's where the bull is. Obviously, Kelly has been in this area before. She's helped me pack out elk out of here before. So she knows the trailhead. She knows how to get into camp. But now she, we don't have to try to, you know, meet up on a trail and I don't have to walk her into the carcass. Literally, she has a picture of it. Boink, it's right there. And so, yeah, she, by the time I come out of the hole, here she comes across. I mean, literally, she was within ten minutes of of meeting up with uh, meeting up with me right where the where the animal was. So it's it's an awesome resource. Yeah, as you know, um, in elk camp, uh, I got a, a spot in from Global Star, and and um, I'm anxious to use it here on my sheep hunts coming up. And um, listening to you talk about it, I'm definitely excited about. Uh, trying it out. I've had hunters that have used it and such, and uh, what an incredible tool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and for those people, you know, like you and I, especially if you're headed out by yourself, or even if with a couple guys or gals or whatever, if you're headed out and you have a spouse or somebody else at home that's worried about you or, or interested in it, having that and being able to just send them a, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay, or whatever message, it just, it's a huge peace of mind. And you can also do a track function to where literally you can activate the track and every, I don't, I think every 10 minutes it basically plots where you are and it will periodically send your significant other or whoever you have it, it emailed to, it'll send them your progress. And so I know for me with Kelly, she would always just always worry, just worry, worry, worry. And I'd always have to try to figure out how to get out at night and make a phone call and check in and now with a spot, now she doesn't worry at all because she can sit there and watch my progress all day long. And then I, every night I'll, you know, I'll just hit her an okay message and she knows everything's fine. Chris, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll get right back to you. Guys, I wanted to tell you about one of the sponsors of this podcast. DeadeyeOutfitters.com is doing their annual breast cancer awareness t-shirt design again. They're donating 10% of all proceeds to breast cancer research. As you know, the month of October is all about breast cancer and trying to bring awareness uh, to that disease. Let's, let's help raise some money 
by going to DeadeyeOutfitters.com and ordering some of these uh, t-shirts. The men's and women's shirts are currently available on their website. Be sure to use the promo code JSCOTT and you will save an additional 10% on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Okay, Chris, um, I want to talk about Unit 9 and some of your impressions of maybe some of the differences between other hunts that you've been on in, in other states and in Arizona and, and some of your overall impressions of the hunt. Um, first of all, I'd like to say, you know, going into the season with all of the moisture that we had, um, we were pretty sure that it was going to be a really good antler growth year. And it turned out to be a good antler growth year. Um, one of the things that I thought was we were going to have a very, very intense rut. And I thought it was going to be one of the best bugling um, years that we've had in a long time. Uh, now, I was only in Unit 9. And um, I've, I've already talked to a bunch of other guys, Craig Steele and Lee Murphy and a bunch of other friends that were in different units and it's interesting uh how what i what we perceived in unit nine turned out to be pretty widespread across arizona um normally when we have you know a strong spring a strong monsoon season um you know the the, the cows are feeling really good they get the bugling really good early and and um what I felt like happened in Unit 9 was once they started thinking about wanting to bugle and wanting to interact with each other, the muzzleloader hunt started. I believe it started on the 11th this year. So just about the time the elk, you know, started to want to start, you know, moving around and being vocal, the pressure moved in. Granted, only 25 tags on the muzzleloader hunt, um, you know, the thing about the 25 tags is most camps had, you know, eight or 10 or sometimes even more people in camp. And so you had hundreds of people running around in unit nine. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those things where human interference and human pressure, in my opinion, really slowed those elk down where, uh, and I see it year after year, but it, you know, it's like it hit even hit home even harder this year. Um, I'm not saying that they didn't bugle and I'm not saying that they didn't rut, but it sure seemed like, uh, you know, after three days of, of everybody running around, they had the elk, you know, pretty, pretty subdued. Um, and you know, I have to learn this lesson every year that, that once they feel pressure, you know, they shut up for quite a while. And then that transitioned into the archery season. And, you know, I think the later dates in Unit 9 helped the bugling out, but it never did seem to just fully come uncorked. And, you know, I, I use the term meatball, you know, a meatball of, of elk, um, I saw a few days where there was kind of a meatball, you know, six, seven, eight, ten bulls, you know, kind of frenzied up and all bugling. But usually I've seen in Unit 9, like in 2012, I mean, every single day um, of the last week, it seemed like there was just big meatballs of elk. So my question to you is, what did you notice from an outsider's perspective? Well, it, 
that the pressure number one you know granted i've only been down there a, a handful of times over the past five years three 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 four times anyway three yeah so i i don't have as much uh longevity as you guys do that have been there for a long time but here but yeah number one this year seemed to be excessive in my memory anyway i I don't remember ever being as bad as what i saw this year is like you said the number of people down there not only to hunt but just helpers people out there in the field going around and and you know, helping the other hunters and, and, and we're guilty as charged. I, I obviously you had your hunter and I was out there trying to help. And, and we had a couple other guys come into camp and, and help as well. But I also saw, it seemed, and again, this is my perception. I'm not trying to, to, you know, crucify anybody, but it seemed like there was kind of a desperation in the air. And uh, it seemed like some of these other people that were helping were helping in a way that was more along the lines of trying to interfere with other people. So, you know, maybe they had a, there was game cameras. I mean, there were every, every water hole rather than a game camera on a couple, you know, a few key water holes, it seemed like every single water hole and every natural wallow not only had one game camera, but it had five game cameras on it. And people were just constantly going in and checking, 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 checking cameras. But you and I noticed that there were a lot of guys, you know, if you're going to go in and check a game camera, you know, in the middle, you know, say 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock or, or noon or whatever, in the middle of part of the day where you might not have a lot of activity, that's one thing. But it seemed like there was a lot of guys going in prime time. I mean, like first light when there should be a lot of activity they're driving down roads and they're going in and checking water and they're checking these game cameras or right in the evening when the elk should be moving and or you know early afternoon or whatever when they're when the elk should be moving and maybe going to water they're going in there to check game cameras and tooling around places during prime time where you're like it any reasonable individual who is hunting and wants to kill an animal would not be doing that. And so you're right. The pressure was absolutely insane this year, number one. But number two, the other thing that I saw, and you and I talked about this in camp a little bit, is it seemed that there is a change. Again, anybody who's listening to this has a long history in Unit 9. Just take it with a grain of salt. I'm just, this is just my initial reaction. But I did not see the number of mature, like old, old age class bulls. I don't care if it was a 400 bull or not. I've got video footage uh, in previous years of eight, 10 year old bulls that are, you know, non-typical or busted off or just funky, weird bulls that no one would want to shoot. But you can look at their body, body condition and their body composition and go, that's a really old bull. I didn't see a lot of really old bulls. What I saw this year was a pile of your 320 to 330 to maybe 340 class bulls. I mean, there was just, they were a dime a dozen. And there was just a pile of all the same age class bulls in there. And rather than one bull, one big, you know, 10 year old bull that had 20 or 30 cows and a bunch of satellite bulls, what I saw a lot of this year was 
you know, one bull, four cows, one bull, five cows, one bull, four cows, one bull, six cows, one bull, three cows, one, one bull with a cow and a cat. And to be honest, that is what I have seen as a shift in Colorado and some of the areas that I hunt. We now have a different age class structure where we have a whole pile of bulls that are all equal. They're all equal stature. They're all equal body size. They're all equal body composition to where there's really no clear dominant bull versus subordinate. No, they're all the same. And so rather than fight and just get, you know, just be competent, you know, competing with one another constantly, they just take a handful of cows and they, they just, they're happy with them. And they say, I'm going to take my girls and I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to go to some little secure little hole that I can find. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to be content. And I think that also kind of kind of compounded what we saw in regard is we didn't, you know, like you said, the meatballs, we don't, we don't, we didn't get those just big bugling frenzies. There was a couple of times, but I think the reason why we had those, you know, little flash in the pan issues is because there was probably a cow coming into heat. And all of a sudden, here's another bull that got too close to another bull. And all of a sudden, there's a bugling frenzy. And it literally might be a bugling frenzy for that evening. You go back in the next morning, and it's dead. And it's dead, dead. So I think, um, and, and if, if you don't, I mean, I know I've been rambling. But one other thing that I will say that was a difference this year that seemed to be a, a very, very pronounced difference was you had to be out there at four o'clock in the morning listening in order to figure out where those elk were and that's a legit two to two and a half hours before the first light you know the first little turquoise or you know pink in the horizon you had to be out there two hours before even the first hint of light to hear them bugling occasionally not a lot just occasionally you'd hear them talking because as soon as there was that first little bit of turquoise in the horizon they were done. They, they, they were done bugling and they were already heading into their bedding area. So if you didn't know where they were headed, you were going to have a tough, tough time figuring out where those bulls were and getting on them and getting close. So yeah, it was definitely an interesting year there this year. And I think that behavior is pressure. I think they're, they, you know, they're going to bugle all night. And then as soon as it's just barely starts getting light, they know that the the cavalry is coming and it's like, okay, let's head to the trees and let's head to the trees and then we're going to kind of be quiet because we know that, you know, yeah. they're after us. And, um, you know, and it's probably not they they obviously don't have that thought process, but the instinctual, um, you know, they're going to head to the trees early. Um, there's so much here to talk about. Uh, one thing I want to bounce back to is the trail cameras and. I was fortunate. Uh, my friend Monty Parsons uh, lives there in Tucson. Uh, he had a tag this year, and and um, Monty's just a great guy. But all, all summer, uh, he he ran 47 trail cameras, and he continued to run them throughout the whole season, as well as uh, friends of mine, Stephen Vos, Blaine Ruddy, um, Steve Chapel ran camera, a bunch of guys. Uh, the Mullins guys, um, you know, a bunch of guys were running cameras. And one of the things, uh, I was fortunate, a bunch of those guys are all my buddies, and they showed me a bunch of pictures throughout the summer. And 
velvet bulls and you know a couple interesting things that I saw with the trail cameras was how much we we talked about it in previous episodes before this season how much elk actually move and in my opinion like I've said before and I've had I've taken some criticism for it but I don't really care um velvet trail camera photos are for nothing but getting fired up about the season, taking an inventory of what's there. But then once the season starts, once the pressure hits, once they shed their velvet, they move into their rutting grounds. And if you don't have cameras running, say, starting September 1st on, all of that velvet stuff is completely meaningless. And to solidify that point monty being my friend uh you know showed me a bunch of pictures of little bulls big bulls medium bulls whatever but the interesting thing is he had a hit list of 25 bulls okay that were say his top 25 once they turned hard antlered once their their horns turned their antlers got hard he physically only saw with his own eyes one bull out of his top 25. I believe two out of his top 25 showed up on camera. So, that, and Jay, with that... Jay, let me, and, and I don't mean to interrupt, but just want to clarify. Two showed up on camera the rest of September. Right. And, and not even at the same location. They ended up moving from one area to another area where he had cameras. You know, Stephen Vost, the fireman, uh, he had similar thing where... Uh, and I know Pat McCarty had bulls that, you know, all summer long, they've got them at one tank. All of a sudden, two of those big bulls went to seven west. So they moved from, you know, they moved 20 miles into a completely different unit. Why any elk in their right mind would move from unit nine, where there's only 100 tags to seven west, where there's, you know, a pile of tags. But, you know, the, the, the question I would ask is, you know, was that where they were born? Is that where they were raised? Is that where they just like to go rut? But obviously, they have a pattern of staying in one place all summer and then leaving and you know getting out of Dodge or, in their mind, going to better rutting grounds. Um, but I, the one thing about trail cameras, I think one of the bad things that it creates is like exactly what you said. There, there's two things. When people have trail cameras of bulls, they feel like they own that area. Yeah, that area is theirs. Nobody else can go in there. Who's in my spot? You know, we have a hard enough time as hunters having your areas that you like to hunt and other people going in there. But then you get a picture of a big bull and it creates this huge territorial, that bull's mine, all this animosity, all this, you know, it's just like, it's in my mind, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and um, it, it, I, I am not against trail cameras. If the state of Arizona said as soon as the season starts, trail cameras are gone. If they're found, they'll be confiscated. It wouldn't bother me at all. If they said no, tra you know, trail cameras are done. You can't put them out on public lands. It wouldn't bother me at all. I think that would be unfortunate because there is a lot of people that like to scout with trail cameras. And but I think as humans, it seems like we always overcook everything. Instead of having 10, we have 200. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're trying to cover every inch of the unit. And I understand, 
I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to cover everything to try and shoot the biggest bull you can. To me, I think there is some aspect of, isn't it fun just to go hunt and see what's there and glass and call and listen? Or is it so automated that we have to have everything right at our fingertips? I mean, I, and, and what I'm saying is somewhat hypocritical because I have, in years past, ran a few trail cameras. This year, I bought my first two trail cameras that I've ever owned. Dar's had, you know, seven or eight or nine cameras over the last 10 years, different cameras. And, you know, we've run a few cameras. So I don't want to sit here and have someone say, well, he's run cameras because I have. But in looking at the grand scheme of things, I just wonder if that is that really is that really what we want to do? And I don't know the answer to it. Well, I, and, I mean, and, I'm torn on. And, and I'll tell. I mean, I will. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with what your what your assessment is on the game camera. I stopped running game cameras where I hunt probably about ten years ago because of that fact. Just because of what I saw in the summer does not mean I'm going to see that animal in the fall. And quite honestly, it it really messed me up. Um, there were a couple years where I did not harvest an, an elk, which if that's fine. I, I'm, I'm different. I, I have a standard that I personally, I, or a value set that I personally have that, you know, I'm looking for a particular age class of an animal. Now, yeah, every now and then, uh, you know, a couple years ago, I shot a three and a half year old bull. That's fine. But I, I wanted, I'm, I am generally looking for an older, a older age class animal. So if I don't find one and I don't harvest an animal, that's fine. I, I don't mind that. But there were a couple of years where I had trail camera footage of an absolute giant. And that's all I, that, that I was like, nope, that's the bull I'm going to kill. Well, who, like you said, he could be 20 miles from here, you know? So it really messed up my, you know, my focus on just going out there and, and trying to kill uh, a good bull and have fun. Um but well, I, I, I want to make a point, too, and I think if you have private land, run a million cameras. Yeah. You're not interfering with anybody else's hunt. What, where I'm finally at with cameras, it's like, golly, on public land, when I go to some of these trick tanks, and Chris, you know some of them, where you go up and there's 10 or 12 or 15 cameras hanging on the fence post. Yeah. Well, and I mean, at some point, so those 10 or 15 cameras are there. Well, 10 or 15 people have to come check those cameras. That, now that's and they get to where they check them every two days. Yeah. If you're trying to sit that. Yeah. You've got tire tracks in and out, people tracks in and out. Yeah. You know, in there putting their scent around. And it's like, guys, how far have we gone with this? Well, and that's and that's where I was going to go. I was going to say, I, I'm not. And I've been criticized. Row Hunting Resources has been criticized in the past because we developed uh, uh, that Elk Hunter Strategy app. It's on our on our uh, webpage, but we actually have a standalone app that goes on your phone. And when we first came out with that, oh my gosh, people just crucified us. Go, oh, you don't need to use technology, and oh, that's just taking it too far. But well, we can say the same thing about game cameras. But I would say it. I'm not so worried about using technology to help you. But it's how you use that technology and 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 then what the what the result of how you use that ends up being. And and what I saw in there is I don't mind the fact that there's 
a bunch of game cameras on it. For instance, let, let me let me let me segue to make my point. They make game cameras now that are cell phone activated, which means you don't have to physically check that camera. It will literally send you a text message with a photograph of what came up in front of that camera. There are a lot of people that go, oh my gosh, that's, no, that's, that's, that's too much. That's, that's taking technology too far. Well, in this case, quite honestly, I wish every single person that ran a game camera down there had one of those cameras because they would never, ever have to go into that water tank or that, that, that stock pond and check it. You would have much less disturbance on that site than you would if you, if you had a cell phone camera. The problem that I saw is it, and and I really think, and you and I talked about this before a little bit is, and we could, I mean, geez, OP, you want to talk about a controversial topic and diving in, but I, with social media and outfitters and the competition that there is for the grip and grin, and everybody wanted wanted a big, obviously, Unit Nine is about or used to be about killing the biggest bull that you possibly can, and it was legit. 380 to 400 inch plus bulls. I mean, that's that's what Unit Nine was about. And what I saw this year that I thought was disappointing was it really seemed like this year turned into combat bow hunting, you know. And and I think it dealt. I think it had to do with muzzleloader season started first, and there was all that competition, which and and all that activity, and it put the elk in a silent mode and a nocturnal mode. And I think when bow hunting, when bow season hit, I think it, there was a desperation in the air that I think, you know, whether it was the technology, whether it was using ATVs and side-by-sides, whether it was using their assistance and, and running into places. But I just, it just seemed like there was a desperation in the air where it was like, I don't care what I do to impact someone else. And quite honestly, I might purposely go in to impact someone else as long as I get mine. And that that seemed for me this year, it seemed much worse than I've ever perceived it in the years before. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, uh, Chris, we're going to talk about more of this stuff here on part two of this episode. Um, I want to thank the listeners for listening. Chris, I want to thank you for being on with me uh, here. And I look forward to um, talking to you in part two of this episode of the uh, 2015 uh, elk season recap.